everybody, welcome to episode 124 of Literary Disco, Bookshelf Revisit, Summer 2018. Today, after a few technical snafus slowed down our release schedule, we've decided uh, to just sit down. <laughs> Julia. Julia. It was me. We've decided to uh, sit down and catch up on what we've been reading and or thinking about. Uh, and while we're at it, we thought we would play a new literary disco game. New game that Todd has invented, that we don't know what that is yet, but we will find out, and then you guys can tell us how great or horrible it is. It's off the chain. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. <laughs> Joining me, as always, our novelist and critic Todd Goldberg, and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey. Look, um, Julia, sometimes we get complaints on the internet. Uh-uh, what? That Ryder and I don't let you speak. Yeah. Yep. Well, and those are valid. And recently we recorded an episode where it was primarily... He almost interrupted you right there. Right? Like, Don't talk. Like, yeah. Nobody talking when I'm talking. We recorded an episode that was primarily you talking. It was like, like a Julia fest. I know. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And um, what happened? Well, um, my mic wasn't plugged in right, and it was just you guys, and then every time I was talking, a blank piece of static... We should we should release the episode like that. It's like, art. A sort of yeah, exactly. To make it like an art piece, like and we'll just call it "Silence to Julia," <laughs> and it'll be like us making all these points about the cat, like us mansplaining cat person, and you just being silent. I kind of want to do it. It should be an extra. If we were one of those podcasts uh-huh. that charged you for an extra, I would charge you guys for that. For one dollar on our Patreon account. You can hear Julia battle the Patriot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, as long as you brought it up, we sh- like we should address it. Like, you guys do. You both talk a lot. I actually, it's weird for me because in my world, I feel like I talk all the time, and I I do feel like I kind of hang back. But you are interrupters, and we're we're we have to be on a journey together where you at least acknowledge it. Todd <laughs> texted me as if this was so outrageous, <laughs> and I texted him back. Facts are facts, and then you never responded. <laughs> so I want to thank, I, but in sincerity, I, I want to thank the listeners for you know being like doing their due diligence and someone you, literally I'm, as I interrupt you, someone literally <laughs> re, with a stopwatch listened to the show and was like, okay, you and Ryder talked for thirty minutes, Julia talked for seven. How do you I, argue that, with that? I, there's no argument. It's true. But I was like, I was trying to imagine, like, okay, you're in bed. You're like, oh, I'm gonna fall asleep to the dulcet tones of Ryder being upset with post-colonial blah, blah blah. Yeah. And then you're like, you know what? I'm gonna get a fucking stopwatch. I'm gonna see how long they talk and don't let that nice woman speak. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, because I think it's that egregious. Right? <laughs> and I mean. I know you guys so well, and you know, it's so funny because I've been thinking about how long we've been doing this, and we are really close friends at this point. I mean, we were before, but it's been a long fucking time. (laughs) And like, Ryder will just go off on a rant about anything, so that's like a huge amount of the time. And then, (laughs) Todd, you like to like kind of boomerang out into things that make no sense, and then... Things that interest me. I just patiently (laughs) wait until it's related in any way to books. Which I shouldn't do. I should interrupt you. I'm going to try doing that. You should. Okay. Well, this weekend, I was at the uh, LA Times Festival of Books, and my brother was on a panel, and he kept interrupting um, another one of the panelists, and I was sitting there with my sisters, 
And they were like, ugh, poor Naomi. Naomi was the other author. And they're like, ugh, poor Naomi. Now she knows what it's like to have been us for the last 50-odd years. <laughs> so it's like, yes. Good point. And then, like Cats in the Cradle, I realized he was just like me. <laughs> My brother was just like me. And the cats in the... Anyway. Now, this is us waiting for you to be done. <laughs> Ah, uh, microcosm. Gotcha. <laughs> now, see, I think I think what people don't realize, I used to edit that. Oh, yeah, I forgot so, about that. And my job primarily was cutting out talk. Uh, no, I remember you complaining a lot about having to cut yourself. Not that you complain about cutting yourself, but being like, wow, I really talked a lot. Yes. Well, I, uh, but I also would be the most self-conscious while editing about my of own course. thing. So I was like, oh, if I'm talking too much or I made a stupid point, I'd just be like, we'll just cut that 30 seconds out and pretend <laughs> it never happened. So I probably sound a lot more smart and in control the first like uh, 12. 40, 50 episodes. <laughs> Whereas Tucker's like, let these motherfuckers dig their own graves. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which is, <laughs> here's the rope, guys. So that makes for a more compelling show. <laughs> Uh, all right, so today we thought we'd just sit down and talk about, uh, do a normal bookshelf revisit. Do we want to start there? Uh, does anybody well, have any at, book they want to talk actually, about? Actually, Ryder, we need to talk about something. Yeah, something happened. Uh-uh. Something happened. Something dark. Okay, I um, let me tell it from my point of view first. Okay. So I got this email. You've got um, mail. Hang on, I'm going to pull it up right now. And... <laughs> Oh, man. The subject line, it's from Todd Goldberg at Todd's website. It was called, (laughs) the subject line is, Ryder had a thing for hats, question mark, and then it's like three pictures of you when you're like, I don't know, maybe 14 wearing different (laughs) hats. So I responded to Todd, and it was just like, the way that it was was just like exactly what Todd would send me, like just some little snarky thing about you random. <laughs> and so I was just like, ha ha, this is really weird. And then Todd, you want to take it from here? I, so she forwarded me the email and I was like, oh, that is funny. He did have a thing for hats. <laughs> and then I looked at the email itself and I was like, oh, this is from me. But I didn't send the email. What? I had you never sent the email. And all the images were from Getty Images. So, like, someone had to go to Getty Images and look for photos of you. And then look for photos of you in hats. And then pretend to be you. And, and then, then send to it to me. me. Julia. And then send it to Julia. And I was, looking, I was like, what the? And so Ooh. then I looked at the email address. And so my... Um, my website is Todd Goldberg, all one word, dot com. And the email was Todd at Todd Goldberg.com. Ah. And I was like, oh my God, number one, has someone bought something with my name that I don't own? <laughs> that was my first concern. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> you were the biggest narcissist chief, on this chief earth. She's concerned. What's next? Goldbergers has already taken. Oh. I, I, I actually. Uh, We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> and so I was like, Julia, I'm Michael Weston, or I used to be. Send me the header on the email. Let me look at the IP address for this. Where is this coming from? Julia, being very tech savvy, responded, 
What's that? (laughs) (laughs) I know what an IP address is. I just didn't know how to grab it from a header. So what they did is there's this website where you can, uh, it's an anonymous email server, and you can put in any name and uh, email address. It'll generate a fake. And generate a fake email. And a lot of times that's how people will attach a virus to an email, send it out from an email address that you trust. Right. So someone sent these photos to Julia, knowing she would immediately download them, I, frame I them. I didn't. I did put them in the house or forward them to me and in fact my computer. Um, and I was like, Julia, you might have malware on your computer. And then I had to explain to her what malware was. No, you didn't. Um, and then <laughs> And then Greg was gonna come and clean right. the whole thing. But bottom line, was there any malware or was there anything or is it just a weird like fan? Don't know. Fun? We don't know. Don't know. Uh, yeah. everything oh. seems fine. But I found it to be very disconcerting that some hacker knew exactly how to trick me. You know? (laughs) Totally. It's like, it was an email making fun of you from Todd. That's very believable. Right. That's extraordinarily sophisticated sock puppet work. (laughs) So, wait a minute, but... But Julia, when you replied, it ended up going to Todd's actual email? No, I replied and I got a bounce back, which I immediately should have figured out but then i just forwarded it to him anyway forwarded but it. by that point i was like this is very bizarre but oh so you totally did get catfished it just didn't work because it bounced back right right weird so what was this person's goal i don't know I, who are you strange person listening to literary disco and, analyzing our personalities and using them against us I know. <laughs> creepy but uh truth is i did have a thing for hats <laughs> i i used to wear I used to wear a fedora. Yes. Like, that's like, so, not that's really what we fedora, learned. There's a gray one. There's a gray hat that I still have at like my parents' house that like I found in a vintage shop when I was like 13 and I wore it like all of my 14th year. And then I used to also wear like those like Kangol style hats. They weren't Kangol hats, but you know, those style hats. Right. I used to wear those. Uh, yeah, because I hated my hair, man. I hated my hair when I was on Boy Meets wow. World. Wow. So well, I was yeah. wearing some kind of hat. I'm looking at two different fedoras and a, like a backwards newsy cap. I don't know. If that's... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah the backward newsy cap. That's yeah. what I mean. Like it's Kangol ridiculous. Yeah. And your your suit's oh. too big and two different colors. Well, that was the style. Well, it was the 90s. Yeah. You're, yeah. Right, you're right. You're right. Big was... Big was in. You're, You're lucky right. that the suit was facing the right direction on his body. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. There is the period where Ryder was in crisscross that everyone forgets right. about. I was going to say, you're lucky I'm not wearing overalls. Like, <laughs> that was a big part of... Overalls with a fedora. Like, no problem there. Seriously. <laughs> My brother always wore a bowler hat, too. Oh, God. This like, was, was just Northern California in the 90s, guys. Oh. It was all grunge and vintage store finds. So if you found, like, a cool hat that gave you personality, you went with yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, we all learned something from this catfishing episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. How bizarre. It was yeah. so weird. Anyway, that has nothing well, to do with I'm glad that had anything. everything to do with books. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so weird... Uh, Cambridge Analytica fan out there, <laughs> let us know who you are. You don't ever need to pretend to be me to be you, <laughs> particularly if you're mocking writers' 1990s era fashion choice. You can come out and do that on your own. Why don't we go on to our revisit and writer? Why don't you yeah. start? Why don't you go? All right. That sounds good. 
Um, so I want to talk about a book that I found. I, I just finished reading it. Um, it's called Empire of Illusion, mm. The End of Literacy and the Triumph of Spectacle. Oh, it's wow. by Chris Hedges. This is an incredible book. Um, uh, you know, back, uh, just backing up, like how I found the book is also kind of cool um, because I was in Washington, D.C., uh, I was at a convention at Awesome Con in Washington D.C., and I got to go to a bookstore there called Busboys and Poets. Oh yeah, which is like that's owned by Poetry and Prose. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it, it's like I, I guess is it a chain or is it just one place? So Poetry and Prose, which has a great big bookstore um, in one half of the town, they have uh, a bunch of half bookstore, half restaurants scattered throughout exactly. uh, the D.C. metro area. Well, this one is amazing. It's you know, it's named after the fact that Langston Hughes worked as a, a busboy in D.C. before he became a world famous poet, and uh, so that it's like a very poetry focused cafe, coffee shop, but whatever. You know, uh, it, it's like it's like a '90s slam poetry right. vibe. Um, so I, I love it, heaven. Um, but while I was there, you know, with my son, like we they have a great kids book selection, and then they have like just this is why you go to a bookstore, right? It's because they have a sort of curated shelf, like the idea of just a non-corporate shelf yeah. or it's not like just the latest books or just what everyone else is buying, but like something that the staff has put out mm-hmm. or somebody, you know, and that's like always where I find the most interesting books and um, sort of unearthed gems. And this one is one of those. This is a book that I'd never heard of and I'm not sure why, because this is exactly up my alley. It's from 2009 hmm. and it's basically um, a series of essays really really well written uh well here let me let me put it this way like one one of the things that's been i've been thinking a lot about lately as as the Mueller investigation heats up and as it looks like you know the republicans are going to lose control of the house and as it looks like you guys i guess what i've been thinking about get your well i I, I think what I'm what I what I'm feeling more positive about our political system, basically. In the last couple months, I've been like, "Oh, wow, this system is actually held in a lot of ways, right. and it seems like it's counterbalancing against this executive branch of insanity." And um, and so I've been thinking about uh, how, like, in reaction to the 2016 election, I feel like a lot of us were like all about politics, right? It was like immediately like, "What? How do we think about this in terms of like?" Uh, you know, voting and um, canvassing and changing the political landscape and how, what's this going to mean, criminal charges, all that kind of stuff. And so something I've been thinking about lately is, well, how do we actually take responsibility for this as a culture? And particularly for me, like in the entertainment industry, how do I own up to the fact that like I work in an industry that created the monster that is Donald Trump, you know, mm-hmm. by accepting, I think that there's there's something horrific about the very term reality television, like that should never have been allowed. Um, it's unscripted. And that's what within the industry, it eventually came to be called. But you know, in the early 2000s, the late 90s, all the way through like 2000 or the aughts, we allowed this concept of reality TV to be sold to the American public. And it was never real. It was always fake. It was always manipulated. Everybody I know who went to film school, um, you know, and graduated in the early aughts immediately got jobs in reality television, becoming casting directors, becoming story producers, becoming editors. And their job always was to manipulate reality to 
convince viewers of a false reality, mm -hmm. of a story that made for a better narrative that would get higher ratings and uh, appease the corporate sponsors. That was always the goal of reality television. Reality television was never interested in showing people as they really are um, or creating any sort of moral calculus or moral structure. It was just notoriety. If, if uh, Snooki gets punched, that's a great episode and that gets the highest ratings. So you try and create situations where people are drunk and in fights. And it was always, I always had really moral issues with it. I was always very uncomfortable with it and I would express it. And in general, like, I feel like our culture sort of, we all collectively shrugged our shoulders. And I think that's why we have the president we have. And this book is, Chris Hedges is in 2009. So right at the beginning of Obama's presidency, uh, writing, he begins, the first chapter is all about uh, wrestling. Mm. And he describes how worldwide wrestling, which I forget what the actual organization is called now, but I, I still call it the WWF, but whatever it is now, WWE, it, you know, they are sort of creating narratives, like a reality television of like American dramas, these mini narratives, and they always have, right? Like in the 80s, it was all about... Um, the Middle Eastern character of being beaten by Hulk Hogan, right. right? So we're like playing out social anxieties in this false world that we all know is false for the most part, right? Unless you're like eight years old or younger, you don't, you think that it's false, but you enjoy the process of the illusion. And he begins with that as a launching point to discuss American culture in general and how by in 2009, he's saying, we've already accepted illusion over reality and we've stopped thinking for ourselves critically. We've stopped reading and uh, we've allowed media um, and reality television to play out our like sort of soap opera versions of our internal emotions and that those things have become more real than our real political structures, than our real institutions that actually run our daily lives or, or you know, keep us functioning as a society. Instead, we turn to false news, you know, like, and he's basically predicting the rise of Donald Trump perfectly in that, you know, we've, we, we, we begin to accept, um, an amoral celebrity status as an accomplishment mm. that yeah. it doesn't matter if Omarosa was a horrible person, just whatever she says is worth listening to and clicking and sharing. It doesn't matter that Donald Trump like basically lies and changes his view. He's so entertaining that he is a celebrity and celebrity is like an amoral status, which I had never really thought of before, but like being famous doesn't necessarily mean you've done anything good, right. especially not nowadays, right? Like being famous just can be its own sort of self propelling machine where it's a, it's, it's a loop, right? Like people pay attention because someone famous did this thing and then this famous person does this thing. So we have to keep watching the famous person do the thing. And it becomes this loop that just endlessly feeds on itself and I think this book is incredibly important to read right now. Um, I'm surprised to find out Chris Hedges is a, is a religious guy. Um, he went to Harvard Seminary. He's super politically active. After this, he got arrested several times for being involved in um, uh, uh, Occupy, the Occupy movement. Mm. He's now, he now writes for um, some independent... He, he refuses to write for corporate newspapers anymore. Hmm. Or any luck. sort of corporate structure. Yeah. <laughs> because it's very luck. tough. Right. It's very, very tough. And that's, you know, that's where the book sort of lands. It ends up moving into, you know, critique of uh, the over-corporatization of America. How, again, that's an amoral structure. This is a structure that doesn't consider 
the human cost of increasing capital, right? Like corporations are always going to be about the bottom line. So when we've handed over, and this is pre-Citizens United that he was writing this. So when we were already handing over so much power and influence to corporations, and he sort of, he, he, he says that that's the same process as what we've done in terms of our entertainment and our literacy is that we've handed over a false an amoral false celebrity culture we've allowed that to run everything in See, our lives the, the reason you're able to find this book because you're in washington dc where people actually think about this stuff on a more daily basis because yes. they're living around it if you were to walk into whatever the cool independent bookstore is in los angeles they wouldn't have that book there because they depend on reality stars <laughs> to right. drive their bottom Promote line by yeah. buying books there and doing celebrity biography signings at their stores you know yeah well, so it's, yeah. It's, it's part of the it's part of the same part I, of the machine i think centipede. just to back up a second you know it's fascinating that it starts with wrestling because living in connecticut the so the headquarters is here and linda and vince mcmahon have been political figures in connecticut forever and like we are my state is one of the states that kind of like let that you know, reality, you know, like fake wrestling world soap opera-esque thing uh-huh. turn real. And I mean, I've never, I've, <laughs> I've never watched wrestling on TV, but one night I had a friend that worked for the WWE and uh, she took me to Monday Night Raw at this big stadium and explained <laughs> to me everything and it is so weird and amazing and like i wish that i knew more about it because it is that is just such a fantastic place to start because wrestling has predicted this exact moment in history and now linda mcmahon yes. is you know the head of the small business administration like right what on earth and you know donald trump did wrestling i mean right. i don't know if that yeah he would make appearances yeah. where he would get into fake fights yeah exactly like, yeah fascinating and if you there and the stories have gotten like basically the stories of wrestling he really analyzes how already in 2000 like in 2009 so that was right after the crash right like they the stories of wrestling were already telling stories of bankruptcy and Mm -hmm. um and and they would create like evil corporate characters who would oversee and wrestle and then the wrestler would be sort of representative of like the left behind white voter you know who couldn't get a job and they would create a wrestle character and then also the sexism like the way that women are treated it's fascinating yeah but then i didn't you know wrestling did a weird thing which is that wrestling then started to have reality shows about their wrestling stars right romantic lives right that were exactly on e so and it focused on the women of wrestling and many of the yes. women were dating the men but it was never about the characters it was always that they portrayed in the ring it was just about their personal lives which were just as manipulated as the things as the fights that were going on yes in the ring so and it's, I like, think, it's like this and we, huge circle of irreality right. right and on one hand it's like you could say like oh we all accepted it um as if and i think that there's a certain segment of the population that does accept it without questioning but i think most americans are pretty aware that reality tv is somewhat false but they still accept it do you yeah. know what i mean it's like we're it's not like we're all idiots i think we're all smart and critical mm. we all have the capacity to look at like wrestling and say it. but the narrative the, the, the control of the stories well <laughs> but i think that I think that people, I give people a little bit more credit, but I think that they enjoy 
the story. Yeah. And that Truly. by the very process of enjoying and celebrating these stories, which are very dangerous, like a lot of the, you know, the story of The Apprentice was that Donald Trump was a genius businessman who was always right. And if you watch any episode of The Apprentice, that's, they manipulated the hell out of the editing of the show. The structure of the show is just he shows up at the end of the episode and makes some stupid decisions about like who he likes and who he doesn't like based on who's loyal to him, but couches the whole thing in this accomplishment structure of I'm the genius businessman and my opinion is based mm. in some kind of authority that comes from beyond the fact that my name is slapped onto this stupid TV show. But, you know, and we all accepted that and we, and we could watch a show and be like, oh, it's a fun parody. But when that parody slipped into the reality, he had 14 seasons of a show declaring him an authority that most Americans were like, well, he probably does know some stuff. Right. And it's like, or, or even if they didn't accept that reality, they just liked the unreality of him being a leader because they had been enjoying it for 14 years. So just go ahead, do that same thing, and we'll keep watching on CNN this time as opposed to you know, network television. So uh, it's, I don't know. Anyway, this book is really important, and I really can't, I, it, it's one of these books that's very satisfying to read and um, it's very critical. Like it, it's cynical. It's it's dark. But if you've had any thoughts like this, I really recommend reading this book because it'll help you focus and and think critically about these things. And I'm now a huge fan of Chris Hedges. Um, like I said, I was surprised to find that he's a super religious author because mostly when I read people that I agree with this much critically, they're they're diehard atheists like me. <laughs> so it was it was refreshing to find out that he comes from a very different thinking perspective. And and so I'm I'm curious to read more. Of What's his, the title his more again? Stuff. Um, the Empire of Illusion, The End of Literacy, and the Triumph of Spectacle. Cool. Um, dun, 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 yeah. dun. Cool. That sounds really what, good. What have uh, you been reading, Julia? Okay, I'm pulling a total rider and going to talk about a book that I read to my baby. Because oh, I have yeah. been reading, Cats you know. Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. Oh, I not. do want to, somebody tweeted me like, how are you having time to read while having a baby? And I, I am having time to read. I'm just reading books for future episodes, so I don't want to talk about those. Um, anyway, uh, I also have time to watch a lot of television. It's a weird time in my life. All right, anyway, this is a classic, a major classic. We've never talked about it, and I think it's got to be the best picture book of all time, and it's Madeline! Oh, that is the best oh, picture wow. book of all time. Um, Ryder, have you read this, Andy? No, I, I don't think I've ever read it either. Is Madeline the one where she's in a hotel or in a okay. house? So Madeline is, this is literally only for you because this is one of the most famous books ever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, Madeline's got the life. You know, some people just don't know children's books. Greg keeps referring to the really hungry caterpillar and i'm like you goddamn idiot it's a very hungry caterpillar <laughs> wow <laughs> anyway and here we here's where they break apart madeline yeah. is uh so basically why i think it is the best ever is two reasons and this is why i think you'd love it writer is the way that the prose rhymes is so perfect and beautiful it's addicting oh. so here's the first yes. few pages in an old house in paris that was covered in vines lived 12 little girls in two straight lines in two straight lines they broke their bread and brushed their teeth and went to bed and so it just oh. goes along like that perfectly the whole book but um it is so wonderful because the character of madeline is so like she's 
the absolute typical children's book little girl. She's so brave. And then what this first, he wrote six of these, but um, what this first book ends up being about is she gets appendicitis and she goes to the hospital and um, she thinks it's really awesome and all the little girls are jealous of her. So it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's an incredibly accurate portrayal of like how children think while also being in this beyond perfect rhyme. Um, so you would love it, Ryder. Oh, you would really yes, love it. No, I'm, I'm going to order it right now. Um, but uh, so I pulled it out like 10 minutes before we recorded this. And then I was wondering, because it has a big picture of the Eiffel Tower on the front, very famous. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, was this translated? You know, I assume this book is French, um, but how could the rhyme be so good? So then I learned all of a sudden that this book is not what we think it is at all. So this book person, Ludwig uh, Bemelman, is not French, um, oh. nor is Madeline. She's supposed to be an American girl, um, and it seems like she lives in an orphanage, but it's actually a boarding school, and this main ca- adult character, Miss Clavel, in the book seems like a nun, but she's actually supposed to be a nurse. So, any so it's just of- poorly written. No. <laughs> it's, no, it's been just poorly received. really european so <laughs> the guy the guy who wrote it um he was hungarian but he lived in france as a child and then he lived in the u.s and germany so he, it's got this like pan-european like sense to it but it does take place in paris obviously um because of the eiffel tower but yeah, I mean that's my revisit. Anyone who has not read Madeline in a long time should read it, and you should read it out loud. It's like one of the most perfect pieces of poetry, probably of all oh, time. So, and it's yeah, there's some there's some really bad rhyming, like contemporary kids poetry stuff that that I've gotten. Like I've bought books. I won't say them because I don't want to trash like new children's authors. Yeah. But like I've bought books where I'm reading it, and I'm like. No, like, why would you think that those two things are like a slant rhyme, but like not slant enough, or like the rhythm is just bad? And I'm like, oh, you know what's a good one is the uh, the bear's new friend, bear once more. Oh, the bear slumbers on. That's the first one. Those are also very good, uh, like satisfying reads. Like the Mm -hmm. rhythm of the language is so good. Uh, but yeah, I find the older stuff better, like Dr. Seuss, Shel Silverstein. Uh, but these bad so much better books, writer. They provide you an opportunity for a learning moment with indie. Where you guys get on Goodreads and you're like, all right, this is what a one-star book looks like. And this is how you write this review. You call into question, does the author know anything? Yeah. (laughs) How was this even published? You know what's funny is that actually, like, I've been surprised. So, Indy loved, like, he loved, like, like, that style book, like, with a rhyming quatrain or whatever. and, And, like, a cool illustration. Like, that's what he's been in love with up until, I would say, a couple months ago. And then now he's into, like, the more sort of meta, like, books. Like, the B.J. Novak book. This is a book yeah. with no pictures. Have you guys heard of mm-hmm. He yeah. loves that. That is, like, one of the most. And it's because, like, we've been reading books now for a while. So, like, anything that kind of comments on the act of reading is even, like, more funny and a uh, bigger deal. And the other one we just got is this book by this woman named Carson Ellis. is a Portland-based writer. And we already had one of her other books. And, and we got her a new one called do is talk, I think. And the whole book is gibberish. It's bugs speaking gibberish, but it just creates this little bug scene. He has obsessed over this book for the last week, like every night. That's all he wants to do. And it's because it's 
against like it's like it's almost beyond language so now he's exploring like the concept of gibberish and like he just loves the idea of speaking gibberish to each other um so it's fascinating to watch like how their brains go through but i think like the rhyming uh like satisfying language period we're sort of moving out of that now now he wants Mm -hmm. the like meta joke period totally that i mean that makes total sense but i mean dr seuss is that's the transition i mean the gibberish in dr seuss is perfect too Mm -hmm. but yeah Ryder, now i completely get everything you've said for the past couple years it's like if i read a board book or something that's just dumb and pointless i feel enraged (laughs) i'm like what is this i know Especially if, like, I, see, I make the mistake of just, like, picking up books in a bookstore and, like, going, this one looks good. Like, it's a new book. I'll just buy it. And almost always, like, m- most of the time, like, my biggest complaint is when things are too cute. Yeah. When, like, they're written too precious and they're too simplistic. And, like, like they write words like rar, R-A-W-R. There's one book I have in particular that does that and then, like, creates new words. Like, awesome, horrific. I'm like, no. Yeah. There are enough cool words and if you're going to be creative and create a new word, don't be so like twee about it. You know, just create a good word, like create a new nonsense word. Don't, you know, oh, it's so cutesy pie. Like, ugh, can't handle it. <laughs> anyway, kids books. Uh, so what have I been reading? Okay. Oh, okay. So I had a weird experience. I was asked by the LA Review of Books to interview my brother, mm. which is weird. Strange. Strange. Of course, um, he took this on. And so he uh, he has a new book out, which has just blown up. It was number one for a month on Amazon um, called True Fiction. And so I had to read it and actually think about it versus just read it and then talk shit to my brother about it. Um, <laughs> what a weird so, life you have. I know. <laughs> so I, I did a really deep, intense read of my brother's new book, True Fiction, because, so, obviously, I've known my brother my entire life, <laughs> um, and I've read just about every single interview that he's ever done, because, you know, we share each other's lives, so I, I see what he's got going on. And I've never, ever been satisfied with any interview he's ever done. I've never thought that the person interviewing him has ever asked him a serious question that he could answer without turning it into a joke, which mm-hmm. is a thing that we do. <laughs> as a family is we turn a serious question into a joke because we don't want to reveal yeah, yeah sounds familiar yeah um and so i was like you know what i'm going to read this book and i'm going to think about it like i think about other books that i read and i'm going to interview my brother in the way that i wish someone had interviewed him over the course of the last 35 years um and so i did that and it was a really strange experience to just to separate my brother out of his book and to be able to be like, okay, I've read almost all of this guy's work in his career. How is this book the one that's blown up? Why is it so popular? Um, And so it was a very odd reading experience, a very enjoyable one. His new book, True Fiction, I think is his best book. It's funny, it's fast, it's weird. Um, And then I did this deep, in-depth interview with him where my brother was like, I wasn't expecting to get... Uh, psychoanalyzed by you I just thought you were going to ask me a couple softball questions I have to think about my pain in order to answer these questions you didn't give him a warning no I didn't give him any warning I was like this is what it's going to be and he's like I've never received any questions like this before and I was like yeah you've been received crappy softball interviews your entire life we're going to get on record actual 
interesting things about why you write crime fiction, why you write the things you write, where this desire to do X, Y, and Z came from. I mean, here's the crazy thing. I mean, I, I know I'm, I, I talk about my brother periodically on the show, and I, I joke about him. He's nine years older than me. He has written 75 books. Wow. Oh, my God. That's crazy. I know. He has written and produced 25 TV shows. What? Jeez. He owns a publishing company that puts out 20 books a year. Wow. And I was like, if he was not my brother, <laughs> he would be a really substantial creature. In my, He sold millions of books around the world. He would be this like this guy that I'd wonder about. So does he just like wake up and be is he like writing constantly? Constantly, like that's just his life. Constantly. Wow. And that was one of the questions I had from him. I was like, "You've done all these things. You have a wife. You have a child. You have a bunch of strange hobbies. Like he likes to smoke meats. That's weird. <laughs> he has a drone. That's not he that to, weird. He likes to that's fly his drone weird. around. That's something Ryder would do at a party. That's true. Smoke some meat. Yeah. Smoke some meat. Wow. Um, a lot of jokes. Not going. Um, so anyway, so I read, I did this deep dive into my brother Lee's books and then conducted this 7,000 word interview with him that will be up in the LA Review of Books, um, sometime soon. So that's cool. what, that's what I did. It was a weird experience. Is it going to be called Goldberg on Goldberg? I hope so. Goldbergers. Goldbergers. Our Goldbergers. <laughs> so guys, I have to tell you another thing. So I, I, you know, I'm constantly pitching Goldbergers, burgers on bagels. And I had experience where I was talking to another professor at UCR. She's a, a professor of political science. She was a dean at the university for a long time. And she was like, you know, what's your dream outside of writing books? And I was like, oh, God. Burgers on bagels. Wow. Time. And then everyone else in the room was debating the, the merits, as everyone always does. And then she said, and this, this has had an effect on me. <laughs> she said, Todd, there's been a lot of Jews. No, none of these Jews who are chefs have ever started a restaurant where there's burgers on bagels that succeeded, right? And I said, uh, that I know of. And she was like, what does that tell you? Oh, my God. There's a first time what, for everything. A failure automatically? What, you think other people have tried and failed? Uh-uh. I don't know. It was that's a lot. Reason it was to... a lot to hold on to. That's ridiculous. Well, I she disagree. she didn't want to give me the angel money anyway. Um, so... <laughs> Goldbergers might be out. But that did cause me to think of having an alternate dream, which caused me to think of a new game. All right, let's do this. Uh, let's do this. So we haven't had a new game on Literary Disco in like four years. We just rehashed the old ones over and over again. I don't again. think we've had a new game since our first year, which that's, is that's correct. Yeah. 2012. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so exactly. I've developed a new game. <laughs> this new game has a familiar name. It's called Rock, Paper, Scissors. What the okay. hell is going Are on? Are we just going to play Rock, Paper, Scissors? No. Okay. On what this audio. game is, what this game is. Yeah. You get to hear us. I take, or you can take, a poem, a current top 10 song, a classic top 10 song, oh. and something you make up. And the other players must determine which is which. Which one is? Yeah. Oof. Are you guys ready to play rock, paper, scissors? Wait, what are the categories again? Poem? The categories are poem. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Current top 10 pop song. Mm-hmm. Classic, classic top 10 pop song. Mm-hmm. 
thing I make up. <laughs> and is this a, just a line from each of them? No, it's a, like a couplet. Okay. I, I'm curious about the, the title of this game. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Is it sense. rock because it's like rock and roll? Is that what you're thinking? So should Look, it be like rock poem, our, rock our, poem, rock poem? Our games don't something? have titles that directly relate to... Well, classics Corner with two Ks. Yeah. Yeah. Bookshelf revisit. <laughs> yeah. Book, I mean, we tend, to, we tend to pretty much describe what we're doing. Yeah. Then there's judging a book by its cover where we didn't talk about the cover. Oh, that's true. That, <laughs> we talked about... Yeah. All right. But I thought of rock like rock songs. Paper yeah. like a poem. Oh, scissors, okay. something that we've cut up to make something new. See, that was a good explanation. Did yeah. you just make that up no. right now? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you backed your way into rock, paper, scissors. I, I, yeah, I, I, I backwards. In, like, how, I was like, why did I come up with that title? And there it was, subtextual. Okay. All right, so there's right. four. I'm ready. That's correct. There's four. Even though there's three rock, paper, scissors. Okay. Are you ready? All right. Yeah. All right. Number one. <clears throat> and I'll do them all in poet voice. That's the other thing. So I'll add mother. To the beginning of each. So this is just poet voice. No, this is different. This is rock paper scissors. <laughs> Mother, take a seat right over there. Sat on the stairs. Stay or leave. The cabinets are bare, and I am unaware of just how we got into this mess. Got so aggressive. I know we meant all good intentions. Oh, baby, why don't you just meet me in the middle? I'm losing my mind. Just a little. Okay. Number one. Number two. Mother. (laughs) There is no difference between taking and giving. Some give, some take. In the end, what is left is a piece of me you did not want. I like that Number two. Number three. Mother. (laughs) It's bad if I I laugh every time I say mother. (laughs) It's inevitable. It is. I got a spam email from my mom the other day. She's been dead for nine years. Um, I know I should crumble for better reasons. But have you seen that boy? He brings the sun to its knees every night. That's number three. And number four. Mother. (laughs) Days are gone. But my love lives on in this space. I remember playing the games, the funny nicknames, and all the sunny days that shine so brightly. I keep remembering when we started together as friends. I keep remembering when we were together forever. The promise we made still stays in my head like a melody. Hmm. This is really hard. 
Yeah. Yeah, this is harder than you. Yeah. I yeah. think. So the first one was mother take a seat right over there. Mm-hmm. The yeah. second was bear cupboards. Uh, uh, mother, there is no difference between taking and giving. Third was mother, I know I should crumble for better reasons. And then the last mother, <laughs> days are gone, but my love lives on in this space. All right. Current oh, top okay. 10 song. Okay, I think I would I think forth. 1 and 4 are the songs. What do you think, Ryder? 1 and four. Absolutely agree. Okay. Um and I'm going to go with 4 is the classic song. Okay. And 1 is the pop song or the current okay. it might not be pop, current top 10 song. Pretty much exactly what I was going to do. Because because the the first one had the oh baby and rhymed like really quickly you know and I just feel like that's more of a contemporary pop song it's like just um, and then yeah that the last one was was a I think more interesting content um, but still kind of rhymy and felt like like song lyrics so I think the one the third one more classic the third one with the like sun on its knees is what Todd, Todd made, made up, up yeah. Yes. <laughs> and the second one is the and poem because it's really interesting. We are completely Yes. Agreed. All right, let's find out how wrong we are. You are mostly right. Yes. Okay. The first one, take a seat right over there, sat on the stairs, stair leave, the cabinets are bare and I am unaware, is the song The Middle by Zed, which has been a big hit this last uh, six weeks or so. Great. Okay. Uh, song. Is it a good song? No, it's terrible. Uh <laughs> The fourth one is the new kids on the block. I remember when. <laughs> Ryder, we are the, killing it. The yes. deep, complex rhyme structure of Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> yes. He said when and friends. Right. That's the kind of good slant rhyme you can get away with in pop music. Now, right? where you guys are wrong oh, is no. where I feel better about myself. We actually gave okay. you a compliment by accident. You did. Oh. I know uh, I should crumble for better reasons, but have you seen that boy? He brings the sun to its knees every night. That's Rupee. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, That's Rupee uh, Cower. Cower, how was your name? Cheat. That was your cheat. You just picked the worst poet in the world. And then you gave her to me. And then yeah. I wrote, there is no difference between taking and giving. Some give, some take. In the end... What is left is a piece of me you didn't want. So, which it, makes me think I could be an Instagram poet. But wait, of course a, you could. But wait a second. I'm telling you, we should create a fake Instagram <laughs> poet and get millions of followers, and then expose everybody to like the fact that we were just like cribbing high, like haikus or Hallmark cards, and no one, you know. Yes. So, Todd, if I'm understanding this correctly, yes. we did the amazing service of both insulting and complimenting you at the same time. Yeah, it was nice. Because we thought you wrote the rupee poem. Right. You thought that I dumbed down my own intelligence to write the rupee poem. Right. And instead, I came up with something that was a ripoff of a rupee poem. Yep. That was a little bit more intelligent. Wow. Well, yeah. I would say we're all winners here. I, I think also the game, Rock, Paper, Scissors, 
is a winner. We'll let the listeners determine whether or not that was a good use of their time. <laughs> well, a lot of our listeners are young, so they'll know this song, The Middle, by Zed. Well. And a lot of their parents will know, I Remember When, by New Kids on the Block. <laughs> uh, did you ever look up those New Kids lyrics, or did you already know them? Oh, no, I looked that shit up. Okay. Yeah. Cool. After hearing, so I heard, the. so the honest truth is I was driving yesterday, and I was like on the 80s station or something, or I guess it was the 90s station on Sirius, and they played it, and I was like, this is horrible. And then I thought, is it any more horrible than any other pop song that's ever been written? Yeah. And then suddenly, inspiration struck. Wow. A new game that we'll forget about. <laughs> so a, a story that I've, I've, I've heard is that, um, do you know like in the, in the early aughts, there were those, there was, there was the song, I guess it was the late 90s, I Want It That Way. By the um, by the Backstreet Boys. Yes. I want. There's that one, and then there's the Hit Me Baby One More Time. Yeah. Uh, those were apparently were written by the same guy who did not understand English perfectly, <laughs> and did not mean those lyrics to mean the nonsense that they mean. Like you know, if you actually listen to it, it's like I want what what way? It, none of it makes any sense. And apparently, I think he's German, the guy who wrote these songs, and that that's why those songs make no sense. Oh, is wow. that the lyrics were so just like secondary, you know, it's just like good, good sounding music and hit me baby one more time. I think he thought it meant like call me back one more time or something. Yeah, but that's what yeah. makes them classics. So I almost thought about nonsense. I thought about picking oh, Britney so lyrics bad. for this game. And I was like, but if I pick Britney lyrics, Julia will know them immediately. So I couldn't do it. Yeah. I, will. I, was, I was like, what if I pick stronger? And she'd be like, oh, come on. Oh, stronger. that's that would be the easiest of all. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so one last thing, though, related to what you're saying about sort of things that just sound good. I saw this YouTube clip recently of uh, the Foo Fighters brought Rick Astley onto the stage and had him sing Smells Like Teen Spirit. Um, because it turns out Smells Like Teen Spirit and Never Gonna Give You Up, his 80s pop song, had the exact same melody. <laughs> what? Yeah. Never gonna give you a... Never gonna... Yeah. That one? Yeah. And it, it sounds just like Smells Like Teen Spirit. It's the same melody. You have to, like you have to look at the clip. Right. Okay. Well, we all have homework. Thanks, Tad. It smells like Teen Spirit is one of the those overrated lyric songs where you actually read the lyrics. You're like, oh, you were just rhyming weird shit. <laughs> the title is amazing, though, and like the idea behind it. But uh, yeah. lyrically, Kurt Cobain, I don't know. Or maybe they play "Smells Like Teen Spirit" and he sings "Never Gonna Give You Up" over the track. That's what it is. You guys well, anyway, are sounding really old. <laughs> And Just then Bill that Haley did Rock Around the Clock. <laughs> <laughs> Heard this great doo-wop group the other day. <laughs> all right, Amazing. boys and girls. A pleasure to see you all. And listeners, yeah. we'll be back soon with an episode that's going to blow your mind. And please please let us know how you feel about rock, paper, scissors. Be honest. And Julia's uh, fight against What? The I'm interrupting you. <laughs> <laughs> that was so lame. You guys, I really do appreciate uh, all your hard work fighting for me. 